Hello and welcome to another episode of Live Booleans. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Alex. How you doing, Costa? Good, good. Uh, this week we have Raylene, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, uh, also known as IGEA here in Australia. Um, and uh, Raylene has also previously worked as the Marketing Manager for Bandai Namco Entertainment in Australia. Raylene, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I've I'm very much been looking forward to this chat. I've been looking forward to having you on. This is great timing. We we really want to dig into that Bandai Namco stuff, but also your your role at IG. It's really important as well. Um, so I guess something that we always start off with our guests is how did you get your start or how did you get involved first with the, the games industry? Yeah, sure. Um, look, it wasn't by design. Um, I, I was a marketing, I think I was an assistant product manager and I, I was working at Hasbro Toys for a couple of years and I, I was actually working on board games, which was a really great job as a, a graduate, as you can imagine, like some of those big household uh, board game names like you know Monopoly and Trivial Pursuit and that type of stuff plus you know you had the opportunity to work on action figures and all mm. cool stuff um, and I started so Hasbro Interactive had a software division but they were separate uh, to the toy division and and I um, just did a lot of joint promotions with the, the Hasbro Interactive team and um, eventually I got offered a job there so so I took it um, and and started working on video games that way. So um, it was a lot of fun and I think I was only there for about, oh, I don't know, three or four months and they were acquired by Infograms well, yep. for a big French company. Um, and then, you know, then they were Atari and then they were Bandai Namco, but uh, that's essentially how I got my start. So I, I changed from the toy industry to the games industry and, and I've, I mean, that was well over 20 years ago now, um, and I've, I've never looked back. Um, you know, I've, I've been in my current role for just over 12 years, which sort of sounds ridiculous, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> it's also changed dramatic, like drastically as well. So, um, you know, I think the thing with games, it's always so interesting. There's always, you know, new technology, new platforms, whatever it might be. It, it's always really interesting. So it's really quite hard to leave, mm, yeah. um, even if you wanted to. You know, yeah. you sort of can't get those, I don't know, those exciting jobs everywhere. I've always said it's a lot more interesting than, you know, working on baked beans or something yeah. like that, that you often yeah. do as a marketing person. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something I was going to actually ask because, I mean, a lot of people sure. typically, well, they'll, you know, a lot of people leave the games industry. They come in, they, they work for a couple of years, they either get burnt out or something, and then they, they leave. What's what sort of made you uh, want to stay in it, like even after Bandai Namco going to IGEA? You know, what was that sort of drive behind that? Um, look, I thought... I've just really loved it. I've always worked with really interesting people. Um, the product itself is ever ever changing, ever evolving, mm. new audiences. I guess when I changed to IGEA, you know, I went from working within the industry to working for the industry and that was, that's been something totally different again. Mm. So when I joined IGEA, it was just Ron and I mm-hmm. um, and Ron and I had worked together at Hasbro Interactive. So we, we've got a long history of working together. And and it was um, a lot smaller. We probably had about 15 members. And the big issue was classification and people selling, um, you know, bootleg copies of games at the markets. Yep. Um, you look at, at where we're at now, you know, we, we've had the, um, I guess, the digital revolution, you'd call it. Um, I think I started in games with PlayStation 2, so, yeah. you know, we're at PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, all that sort of stuff. So it's just constantly evolving and and so there's that and, and really has been um, the people that I've worked with, many of which I've worked with for nearly those 20 years. Mm-hmm. And and for me now, I guess, you know, you, you I see all the young ones coming through and, and it's just it's so exciting and so rewarding and, and you know, it gives us a bird's eye view working mm. at IGEA. Mm. So we're across everything and, and all the different projects and it's it's just really interesting. It's, it's No two days are really the mm. same, so that's pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and just yourself and Ron, you guys are like really in it. Like you're always at the <laughs> events, you know, Ron's got a face that's just made to smile. He's always <laughs> smiling and 
you know, always so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for yeah. people who aren't listening, what uh, oh, they aren't listening? Sorry, people who are listening who aren't <laughs> sure, um, bunk with that up. What idea uh, is? Um, uh, which is crazy. Yeah. But what would um, what would you say um, IGA's role is? Yes, look, we're the Trade Association for Video Games. So we're a member-based organisation. So our members um, comprise of, you know, video game publishers, video game platforms, video game developers, plus other different suppliers to the industry as well. And look, I, I guess to summarise what IGEA does, it's we promote the video games industry and we protect the video games industry as well. Um, you know, that's that's just a real you know, a basic summary and it's our job to be the voice of the industry. Um, it's our job to advocate for our members so make sure that the regulatory environment um, meets their needs, um, allows them to create thriving businesses um, and sustainable businesses is, is equally as important. So, you know, there's, there's that front-facing stuff. Plus, you know, we're a member-based organisation. We have to deliver resources for mm. our members. Now, that might be, uh, you know, it might be, guides on you know how you know what's the best way to you know make an accessible game um how do i access government funding or private funding it could be things like that or it can be as simple as events you know our, what we find here in australia is um we've got a really collegiate industry um most people know each other one way or another mm -hmm. <laughs> um and they love to get together and you know they might want to get together and play a soccer tournament or they might want to have an industry briefing or they might want to come to GCAP, whatever that might be. So um, it's really important that we foster those connections um, within the membership and, and broader as well. So, yeah, so it's uh, there's a lot of different things we do, but, you know, the, sum, the summary is, is, you know, we're, we're there to advocate and advance the industry. And does... Uh... What, so what does, because you touched on um, that you provide memberships, what does a membership with sure. IGEA, what does that look like? It uh, can vary, but, but essentially what you get, um, so you have a voice within the membership, so you sit across um, our policy work. We have, um, depending on whether you're interested or not, you can be part of those policy mm -hmm. groups. So, you know, if you, you know, one thing I guess we're on your radar for is, you know, advocating for game development funding. Now that affects all of the game developers, but that's just one element of policy work we do. You know, we do a lot of work on privacy and copyright and all that type of thing. So depending on our members, they have various levels of um, wanting to engage on those sort of topics. So, you know, you can join the, the advocacy work. We provide research and data. Um, we provide working groups as well so that you know members get to work with each other to drive direction on what they want us to to do and achieve or, or to create you know projects and resources for the industry we have mentorship programs as well which we're running um you know pr groups there's a whole lot of different uh things but i guess people mainly join us to ensure that their voices are heard and they help shape the direction of the industry Mm. Um, I guess one, one thing that's kind of important to note as well is that, um, we, you know, we've got a lot of Australian-based developers, but, you know, we deal with a lot of multinational publishers as well. So sometimes we deal directly with their head offices as well mm. because if there's a global issue, um, you know, it, it, it's happening in every country or if there's a significant issue, assume that it's happening globally. So, you know, we deal with a lot of their, their head offices as well, which also makes for interesting interesting discussions and mm. topics and direction as well so actually that's a it's a unique um uh uh position i guess to be in because my question was going to be um if you're across australia like how do the different states kind of compare in the sort of support they need but if you're then looking at multinational i guess that then expands to um how do you see the different support the whole world sees like i guess we'll start with australia yeah. first that might be a bit more easier to tackle <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, so I guess um, you know having a you know federation, a federated system, it, it's quite interesting when you see what's happening across the states. Um, and you know what I will say is 
you know, broadly speaking, every developer's needs are the same. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't really matter where you reside. Money. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, or your or resources. or uh, To be honest, at the moment, one of the top challenges is attracting staff. Mm. There's that much growth going on yeah. in the industry. Yeah, which is, which is um, and that's not just Australia, that's a global thing. Um, but, yeah, so th the states have varying levels of support. So, you know, Victoria has, I guess, the longest history of supporting game developers and they're, they're very much a creative-focused state. And that's across art. So they've got a lot of history, and and the the reality is is they're home to the most studios and and full time employees. But you know, South Australia is doing damn well as well. They were the first ones to move on a um a PDV or a, a tax offset. Yeah. Um, and you've got one of I think the largest independent studio in Australia resides in in Adelaide, mm -hmm. it being Mighty Kingdom, and a really thriving um, community over there as well, which is so great to see. Uh, Queensland has a long history of game development studios, probably suffered a little bit more at the GFC, but we're seeing their community rebuild and, and the same in New South Wales. So um, what we have seen at the moment is a lot of competition between the states, <laughs> um, you know, trying to uh, outdo each other with the offsets that they're offering. And a lot of that has been a result of the federal government announcing that they're going to introduce a tax offset. So um, once they do that, <laughs> the states also have a chance to, I guess, attract businesses there. Um, and that's very much what we've seen happen internationally. Um, so, you know, they're the main, you know, for, I guess from a from a state by state, there's a little bit of competition to, to get your head office set up. Mm. Um, and I think most of the states have pretty good you know, game development courses and that type of thing. Um, and, and they all interact differently with the industry, but, but I guess they function really well. Um, in terms of an international, how we work, we work with our international counterparts. So, you know, we work with the ESA in the US and Canada. So they're the same as us. They've just got a lot more people. Uh, Yuki in the UK, um, some of the... Uh, we work with the Korean Games Association and sometimes Japan as well. So we have um, global, you know, communications calls and global policy calls because generally speaking, for example, if there's a an issue like the World Health Organization and addiction, we all work together on that particular issue um, to see what's happening at a, on on the ground and also bigger picture. Somewhere like Australia, for example, um, I guess we were one of the first countries that started started focusing on loot boxes a little bit, mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, quite a few years ago. So we did a lot of preliminary work in that space and then fed that back to our international counterparts. And, um, and then, you know, once an issue blows up, in one territory, it's safe to say to blow up everywhere else yeah. as well. So, so you know, we just all work together to make sure we're across all of the information and, 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 and we can provide what is needed or adjust as we need. So That, that workaround. Yeah, so oh, sorry. I was just going to ask sorry. about that work no, you around, go, you go. around uh, loot boxes. Was that around the, the, uh, the addictive nature of them and that sort of stuff? How it probably started here is there was a lot of confusion between loot boxes and gambling. Yep. Um, and so we had to do, you know, a lot of work around explaining what loot boxes are because, mm. I mean, there's no one answer as to what a loot box is either. Mm. <laughs> there's multiple versions of what it looks like. So a lot of it was just working with, you know, government and policy makers just to show them what it is, mm. what it looks like you know, before they just make these big sweeping assumptions. So a lot yeah. of, you know, a lot of what we do is education as well, yeah. um, you know, and, and different territories yeah. around the world have different appetites for, for these types of things. So. How, do you, yeah, how do you find actually dealing with um, politicians or, or people of government who may not have um, insight into, you know, the inner workings of, of the games industry, like, trying to explain these concepts to them. Is that is that a difficult thing? It can be. Um, it can be. And I, I'm going to say it's changed a lot over the years. Like ultimately they're all good people just trying to do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, um, 
It's how we tell the stories and this is why we invest in in research and things like that. So we've got hard data to support what we're saying. Mm. So when we say, you know, it's not only 14-year-old boys that play video games, we've got 15 years of evidence that shows it's certainly not the case. So it's really important that we bring to the party evidence, you know, evidence-based facts uh, to support whatever we're saying and and we've done a good job I guess of building our reputation of providing that. Um, What we have noticed over the the last few years is obviously politicians now uh, their advisors are a lot younger Mm. so guaranteed they're all they'll play games themselves so they get the industry that little bit better so we're not starting from that that back foot all mm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. They are willing to engage. They do understand the medium. It's not, you know, gamers are this special little, you know, unique breed of, you know, there's a hundred of them. That's <laughs> the majority of Australians play. Um, so that's been really ad- advantageous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can it still be challenging to change their minds? Yes, but, you know, that's why we work with all our groups to, to do that. But, yeah, it, it sort of has changed over time and, um, you know, big tech platforms have changed everything over time. It's it's kind of an, uh, an evolving beast. <laughs> yeah. Um, with that, uh, with the time that you've been at um, IGEA, have you seen, you, uh, like, the, which I think I had a word, like the, the social responsibility of game developers adapt so you know you mentioned um loot boxes getting confused with um gambling and then touching a bit on video game addiction um where you know costa and i know people on both sides who have psychologists who you know will say there's an addiction um game developers saying there isn't and then a middle line that you know got brought up recently was that it's more of a uh like it's the marketing tactics that a lot of these companies are using so have you seen like a change in or an, an adaption of social responsibility on the part of the game developers? Um, yeah, like that, that's a big question because there's so yeah. many of them. But um, I, there's certainly a greater awareness of it. You'll see, you'll see some of the bigger companies. Um, you know, I guess trying to be a lot more transparent around, um, you know, controls or mechanisms that they've got in place or, um, you know, dealing with their community and community behaviours and things like that. It's not in their interest to have games that people don't enjoy playing, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they have to move, they have to move um, you know, with, with, with what the market absolutely wants. Um the awareness is certainly there and, and I guess one of the key things that's changed in the time I've been in the industry is that developers and publishers now have that direct relationship with the consumer. Mm. We used to have the buffer of, you know, retailers or whatever it might be, like, you know, people used to have to send in letters or mm. and then forums started, but do you know what I mean? They've got that direct relationship now mm. um, which can, I guess, work in everybody's favour. And, and, I mean, I think what's... What's also super industry interesting about the industry as we speak is there's so many more players than what there was yeah. 20 years ago. And so what that means is there's a whole lot of different content as well. So, you know, there's, you know, there's wonderful narrative-based games. There's, you know, it's not just, I guess, that myth that everything's a shooter or a sports game. Mm. There's so many more products available as well. So I guess that's how, that's how um, developers adapt yeah. as well and, and meet the market where they are yeah and there's definitely as you as you said basically the invention of social media has um made some account given some accountability on the side of the yeah. developer and the publisher because recently the one that my head goes to is that um far, the far cry game that came out yes they um uh, i don't know if you saw this they had that uh if you stop playing the game it would send you an email from the bad guy in the game saying, you know, I'm disappointed that you left, you know, they are, uh, the country is now in my hands and, and it got a really bad response from people. Like they were like, yeah. oh, it's such an invade. Like they didn't know they were signing up for this when um, there was that email in it. So it's, sure, there's yeah. definitely been that um, accountability on social media because of it. Cause I didn't know yes. about it cause I didn't play Far Cry. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's, it's such an interesting story just in itself. Yeah, and then they, you know, they can react so much more quickly as well. So mm. where, you know, if the market doesn't like it, hopefully 
you can turn that off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. <laughs> or, or whatever it might be, whatever the issue yeah. might be. But yeah. You, you, yeah. Touched, you touched on like, you know, back at Bandai Namco, you did have that barrier of of retailers mm. as as something that was involved in the sort of you know the chain to get a game out i mean it's still there but it's mm-hmm. yeah sure. yeah it's not really as prominent you know and i was and i've been i was looking at your linkedin on like this different types of duties mm-hmm. and things like that you had at uh, bandai namco and and it, and it mentions um managing inventory and i was just i'm just so used to digital games that it just it threw me off i was like Managing inventory in a game, right? What inventory do you have? Um, oh yeah, and goodness. I just completely forgot that that would be such a huge component of a, of a company back then, um, especially, you know, when that was the primary way of distributing. What, what was that actually yeah. like of, of dealing with all of that sort of stuff? Oh, it's, it, it's so different to, you, you know, obviously now, like obviously now when you make a game, you're, you're developing it and there's patches on day one and yep. things like that. That w- it was very different back in the day. You literally were shipping boxes and you were shipping manuals and sometimes there was multiple CDs and then we went to DVDs and all the rest of it. So, you know, you'd have to um, you'd ha- you'd have to get a forecast of what you were going yeah. to think you were sell. You had to, had to make sure you had enough stock uh, landing in the country at the right time. Um you had to make sure that all the retailers got it. If you had a hit on your hands, then you had to manage who got yeah. what and when they get it. Uh, much as you see with the consoles now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a whole different world. And then, you know, we talk about, you know, software as a service now or games as a service mm. now. Like, you know, back in my original days, you, you shipped an expansion pack. That mm. was another product. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, or an expansion pack one and expansion pack two and, it just sort of followed this formula and, and those expansion packs, there was months or sometimes even years between them and the original game coming yeah. out, whereas now it's it's not unusual to have something, some new content, I don't know, with your pre-order, with your yeah. <laughs> day one, day four, whatever it might be. So That's crazy. And, really, and how did those decisions yeah. get made of like, you know, like what was it like – when you were at Bandai, were there, you know, there definitely would have been hits. Like, what was it like then when, okay, here we've got this product on our hand that's just yeah. selling like hotcakes. How do we how do we manage this? Like, what was that sort of like? Yeah, um, I guess I, I guess we worked pretty closely with retailers mm. and, and media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, with journalists and, um, you know, you'd always have your press tours and all that type of thing. So, you know, very much previewing games was still super important, getting that pre-publicity before launch date, super important, your E3s, all that mm. type of stuff, huge. You know, that, that sometimes was one of the only way you got to get your message out prior to the game. Um, sometimes the other thing they used to do, it's all coming back to me yeah. now, is, you know, there used to be a thing called PlayStation Magazine, for example, okay, yep, yep. had demo discs on the <laughs> oh, front, yeah. you know. it's that, You remember that? Oh, you probably don't remember those days, but they were, they <laughs> no, were definitely, definitely a remember. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? That was huge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd get like 40 <laughs> games on a disc. And... <laughs> and if you could get your demo, you're probably going to do okay with your game. But, yeah, you had, I guess you just had so much longer lead time. So mm. you had to work with the retailers um, to try and work out what your numbers would be, what your... I guess, life cycle strategy was when you're going to do markdowns or catalogs or whatever it might be. So they were really, yeah. and look, they're still integral to mm. to everything, um, how games are sold now. It's just done in a different format. So probably kind of hasn't changed except the product wasn't out as quick. And was that was that like and, a... F- and there was a space to get them. Yeah, and was that like a formula by the end of it, like... You know, the product gets released and then it gets marked down at this point. And then, you know, if if by this point they haven't sold this many units, then it's considered, you know, a success or a failure. Was that all kind of was was that actually part of the, the stuff that you were doing there as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, when when we came into um, you know, some of the different companies, what what was interesting is a lot of focus back in the day was on day one. So pretty well you, you shipped as much as you could on the first day and then it would just work its way through the market, whether it needed to be marked down or whatever. And if you reached a certain sales goal, that 
that game might go platinum and then it would go Mm -hmm. into a platinum range, which was half price or something like that. So that was pretty formulaic and it was also very successful. Um, What we found, particularly with Hasbro Interactive, we had properties like Monopoly and Rollercoaster Tycoon and Saddle Club and humongous and you're laughing but they all these products just had ongoing sales Mm. all the time so it was quite different from that day one rush so we had quite an education process to say you know what monopoly should always be on the shelves at a retailer it's an it's an evergreen product so um that was kind of a little bit different as well just having those back catalog um sort of ranges um, which is very much what you see now, right? Mm. You know, it's just on a digital storefront. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, to a point, they were formulaic. If you owned the property, you had a lot more flexibility with creating your own value range or, you know, essentials range or platinum range or whatever it might be. We did a lot of that sort of work, which was fun and good and, and good for the consumer because they got the product at a better price, right? Mm-hmm. So, and even um, some of the other things that, you know, you mentioned um, is around like managing partnerships and now practically game development, you know, is remote. Like you can have a whole remote workforce, but back in, back in those days, sort of managing relationships, you know, across other, across the globe with other counterparts in different companies, what, what was that like? And what was it like in the context of, you know, Bandai, which would have been, it's probably still is like a, a series of companies across the world it's not just you know the one yeah 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 so we you know we generally speaking whoever whoever we worked for you reported through to someone in europe or the us and and we were treated like you know as a territory Mm -hmm. um so you had to manage your internal relationships incredibly well to ensure that you got the stock to ensure that you got the marketing assets on time um that type of thing what i guess what what was always good about our industry is, you know, things like, you know, events like E3 or that allowed everybody get together. So when you could build those face-to-face relationships, it really, really helped. Um, so you had the internal, plus you had your external, which was obviously retailers. It was your media agencies. And look, we it was probably a pretty promotions-focused industry mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, I was one of those people that, used to do the old cereal box promotions mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know you'd get you'd get your discs into into um kellogg's packets or lcm do you remember what games they were that, well. that ended up in, yeah. in the cereal i did uh, yeah yeah i did a range of um the board game ones yep. so like your guess who's and all that type of stuff on lcm bars had a range called humongous which we got into some cereal boxes as well um yeah, so it was really it was kind of was that the different in a different way to market it. Did you have the the PC Monopoly game in those as well? Yes. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, I played yeah, that yeah. so much. <laughs> I had to get another disc because mine broke. I played it so much. And that look, that just you know, it was those types of things that I guess just it got games into hands of people who might not have played games before mm-hmm. as well, and that was very much the desire in doing that. So you know, sometimes if we'd ship that Monopoly game, it might have had, you know, four trailers on it for another game mm. and stuff like that. So it was very much a marketing tactic. It was a revenue stream um, and, and it just worked for everybody. Isn't that so bizarre? <laughs> the, that, AI, yeah. the AI in that Monopoly game would not land on a property and not not buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd have to reset it halfway through. You're like, That's how you play Monopoly. <laughs> know, but like, <laughs> it doesn't think ahead like, oh, oh I'm going to save some money and I don't know, maybe I, I play it bad, but. Oh, the computer cheats. <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's it's so bizarre now to think that you would put games in cereal boxes. Like if I you would you know what I mean? I if you were to mention that now to a to a, a games company, like I mean it happens, but it's you know, you see like say, you know, Xbox or Microsoft or these bigger companies uh doing raffles on on their things, but they would you would literally get a game in in a in a box of cereal, which is just crazy. I know. Because that's the only way to get them right, yeah. or, or go to a shop, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or buy a PlayStation magazine. It was on the front of it. Yeah. you know what I mean. So that's it, it's so it's so kind of different now. And you know, you you look at there's really sophisticated pre-order campaigns and things like that. Like 
um, you know, pre-order products and mm. things like that. So it's still there's still some great ways to to get people to try a product and and, and enjoy their product. But yeah, they were, they were really um, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, just call up a, a serial company and... or toys. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And if they worked, it would, but the, but those things probably used to take nearly a year. Yeah. To, okay. to um from go to woe from the initial conversations to actually because they work so far in advance mm. um and did you yeah, you mentioned main like getting a lot of relationships through um e3 you do you went to e3 pretty frequently then um yeah quite a few times yeah. and and then the companies that we work for used to have um you know lots of marketing summits and thing as, things as well. So they'd get all the different countries in, um, the key people, and and show you the product and what was coming and what the key marketing assets were going to be. And then, you know, you'd, you'd sort of share, you know, talk about what you were going to do and, and if that would help some of the other territories as well. So, um, you know, not not dissimilar to what, mm. to what everybody's still doing. So that was, um, that's, I guess, always been a long-held thing with, say Bandai Namco in particular in Australia, they were really a distribution company. Mm. Um, so prior to being Bandai Namco, they were, you know, Infograms, they were Aussie Soft, um, you know, Atari, mm-hmm. <laughs> back to Aussie Soft. <laughs> then Bandai came in. So so what that meant, being a distribution company, they were the the sales and marketing arm for the likes of IDOS, so Tomb Raider mm-hmm. or Codemasters or whatever it might be. So not only did you have Infogram or Bandai Namco product to work on, you had lots of other products as well. So um, it was it was really how most companies were set up back in the day. So you weren't just relying on one publisher's product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess one of the key differences now, like Ron and I laugh at this because you know, we used to sit in in these, you know, you talk about your forecasting meetings, your, your operations meeting, like every week there'd be an operations meeting, you know, this product's due in, when's it due, when's it going out. And we used to have a release schedule that was like four pages long. Oh, wow. Of all the different publishers that we did, like four A4. Oh, my God. <laughs> and now, now you look at a lot of the key publishers only drop a couple of, games a year if that yeah some some drop a game every seven years yeah. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and they're still as successful yeah. so um it, it was very very different times <laughs> is was there any um marketing campaign or any game that um you worked on the sort of yeah that campaign or distribution on that um was your favorite or or maybe um, most successful or some, i don't know something that maybe that, that yeah. sticks to you we had lots of, of really uh, cool products. Once I um, uh, once we had uh, did, did a Tomb Raider game. So um, back in the day, um, so Idos, who, who were the, the IP owner, they would pick a Lara Croft every year. So it was usually, you know, that, that would basically tour the world. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so we'd bring Lara Croft down here and, um, she'd do a press tour and a photo shoot and, and all the rest of it. And they were always absolutely, you know, really lovely, lovely women and, and actors and that sort of stuff. They, they would totally embrace the Lara Croft brand. Yeah. And, and 90% of the time they were actors. Um, and so they were always fun to work on, those, those sorts mm. of campaigns. And, and you could get them on TV spots and radio and all the rest of it. They were always fun. I did the... Matrix game oh, awesome. <laughs> when it came out, so um, that that was a lot of fun as well. But but sometimes, as much fun as those games can be to work on, they that they're challenging as well because mm. you you know you literally well, it was the Wachowski brothers at the time, but mm. you know what I mean. You're mm. you're working with them as well, yep, or their yep, licensing yep. agents and that type of thing. But I think one of the the key things we were really happy with what we did is is just a lot of the the those evergreen products mm. as well, just ensuring that they, because it's quite interesting now even when you look at games charts and things like that, you know. Well, one of the best-selling games in Australia is still Grand Theft Auto V. Mm. Yeah. I'm not even sure what year it's up to of being out. It would have when to did be it come out, 2013 or something it came out? Yeah. yeah and it's... it would still, honestly, I guarantee you, it'll finish a top five game in Australia again. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it's it's just um, incredible. I mean, I know they have fresh content mm. and, and that type of thing all the time, but those evergreen products but, and, yeah, and, and even, what we were able to achieve. Yeah, even even like Monopoly, you you can always rely on there being a Monopoly on any console that Ooh. you go on. Mm. Always. Like you go on the Xbox and you search up Monopoly, you'll find a Monopoly game. You go on your phone, <laughs> you'll find them. There's always, it's always available, yeah. you know, if you want to play it. That's it. That, it's so true. It's so, so true. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, interesting. Yeah, seeing games that we worked on, they're still out in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is always great, or the style of games, whether it be a tycoon-style game mm. or something like that. I think a lot of those, that, that style of playing never changes, right? It's like you even, you even look at your, your mobile games, like your words with friends and stuff, mm. and, and, and how many bazillion people play that game. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, just that enduring content, yeah. And it's just, and it's just Scrabble, really, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. it's these, these ageless the random, games, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So when that um, you mentioned at the start, you had that transition from working in the industry to then um, you said working for the industry. What was that transition like? Now, now that we know that you had these evergreen titles, as you, you called them, <laughs> was it? Did it feel yeah. a bit? Uh, was it a different change of pace? Did it feel slower or something? Or yeah, um, just different in terms of just getting more exposure to what's really happening. Like when when you're working. I don't know, in the industry, you're, you're probably pretty well focused on your product and your company and that's it, mm. um, which is exactly what it should be, right? Mm. If, you're the, if you're the FIFA person, that's what you are. That's what you do. You worry about FIFA. <laughs> um, where we said it, where we said it, Nigeria, is we kind of have to worry about everybody or be across everything that's mm. happening. So, um, you know, whether it be an R18 game or a G game or whatever it might be, um, you've got to... Uh, have a bigger worldview, I guess, um, and and you know what affects one company, other companies couldn't care less about. Yeah. But making sure that we deliver for everybody, mm. which is is also it's challenging as well. Um, you know, some some companies don't care that there's a tax break coming for video games. Mm. That would be a minority, but others are like, hurry up, bring it on. <laughs> you know what I mean? We need, we, we need the next the next stage of money. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I guess that's it's just more, there's more moving parts. Mm. Um, but that's also what keeps it interesting. Yeah. It's hearing, hearing the experiences and, and what's important. Yeah. To certain people, certain companies. And um, we definitely have to cover the uh the game rebate or um dan thorson will crucify us <laughs> <laughs> i'll text him when i finish <laughs> every, every uh kind of creative talk there's been he'll be sitting at the back going, awesome. ask about the game rebate <laughs> so um, yeah we keep asking too yeah 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 so i guess you know strip it back to the basics um for those listening who for some reason, don't know exactly what the rebate is. The 30% rebate, which I understand um, just got expanded to include games as a service, which is awesome. Um, well, first, sure is. why is that awesome? And also, what is the games rebate? Um, and what's the hope that this will provide? Okay, so um, the hope is that it will provide um, expansion of the industry. It will help Australia retain talent. It will help Australia attract talent. It will help Australia attract um, bigger studios because what we've seen from other countries, say like Canada and the UK, is if you've got a big ecosystem, it's better for everybody. So, um, you know, big studios are often the place where you go and do your training and you do your grounding and you learn lots and then a lot of them will peel off and start their own independent studio as well. That's very much been a pretty common business model. You see a lot of people that have made successful games in Australia in the last 10 or 15 years have done exactly that, whether they've done their training in Australia or done it overseas. That, that's 
their experience. So what Australia has been missing for some time is, I guess, is a complete ecosystem. So we might have a couple of big studios, which is wonderful. We've got a stack of independence, but nothing in the middle. So, you know, you you want people who are choosing to work in the industry to have options. Um, uh, the sort of studios they want to work in, the sort of games they want to make, you know, making sure they can do all of that. So um, the, the tax rebate will provide growth, so it'll provide jobs and growth, which the government love to talk about and we all love to talk about. But it also um, allows us to compete with other countries as well who offer all of these um, rebates. So, you know, Australians who want to be game developers don't have to move to the UK or they don't have to move to Canada or they don't have to move to Poland. They can do their, they can do their craft here. Um, so that's, I guess, the most important thing. It is being introduced on the 1st of July. Um, do we know what the details look like yet? No, unfortunately. So, um all we know is they need a minimum spend of $500,000. Um, we've worked really closely with the government agencies and a lot of Australian game development studios through a consultation process. So, you know, lots of studios of varying sizes have sat with the people who are crafting the legislation to tell them what they need, mm -hmm. <laughs> what they want, what's important, how a game's made. You know, and look, that's how how it resulted in, um, I guess, games as a service being included as well. So when you think about it, government funding for screen, so film and TV, is generally a finite product. It might be a four-part TV series or a ten-part TV series, but it's one product, that's it, the end, or one movie, that's it. Mm. Whereas games is something totally different, as we've touched on. So it might be Grand Theft Auto that's still going mm. seven years later mm, yeah. or, or Crossy Road or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? So just getting that that message to them is that we don't always have an end date. You don't make a game with an end date all the time. Sure you do, but a lot of products don't. Mm. They, they keep going, they keep going, they keep dropping content, they keep selling content, they keep expanding the game universe. And that, that's something very different that, that the people that make those policies aren't used to. Um, so it's really important we went through that with all of them and, you know, just what studios look like and the tools they use. So um, so hopefully we're going to see something on that pretty soon. They have a, they'll have a public consultation, so you'll sort of see the draft of what it looks like. You get a chance to comment before it gets enacted in legislation. So um, it's been what it has done has put a lot of confidence into our sector. Um, so you've got a lot of studios scouring Australia. Oh, well, can we move there? Talking to the state governments, talking to the federal governments, you know, is Australia a good place to set up? Is it a good place to invest in? Mm. So, you know, every, every day we get inquiries from international studios saying, oh, you know, we're looking to partner with Australian studios, blah, blah, blah. And that hasn't, that hasn't something we've, had to deal with in a very long time so it, it's great there's confidence in the sector and then look you see how well Australian games are doing internationally as well like I don't know if you you know look at unpacking that's mm, that has yeah, smashed very well so many levels and I mean that was our game of the year at the actors mm. but you know you look at all the media outlets not just locally but in, internationally have named it in their top 10 games for 2021 that's huge you know so yeah, definitely, yeah. and it's um because the 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 rebate it has a different um uh, how, how do you say it? like flavor depending on what group you're talking Absolutely. to. Absolutely. So yeah, like you're right. Yeah, you're right. yeah. The um like a yeah. you know the the students they're going like this is an awesome opportunity because it means you know maybe Sony comes over or maybe whoever mm. comes over and then we go work for them. Um, but it's a win for everyone, even the you know indie developers because I mean I'm I'm imagining that. Once this gets enacted and studios come over, then government support is probably going to start getting a bit more abundant because they will start seeing it as a viable option. So there'll be a runoff effect to those independent studios that don't meet that 500,000. Yeah, and that I guess that's, and that's something we can't ever take our eye off 
the ball of. Um, you know, back in, I think it was 2010, there was the Australian Interactive Games Fund. So that was the first time the federal government had thrown any money at the sector and it was 20 million bucks. And, um, you know, it was sort of like a grant. There was all different ways it could be used, but I guess like a grant or a loan scheme. And that was huge. That was really successful. That's how a lot of Australian studios who are really successful now got a start from that small amount of money and allowed them to create a game that was successful that they then when reinvested and built their studio um that fund got turned off halfway through um because the liberal government decided they didn't like it um but but it, it was and look, the government acknowledged it was successful, so we will continue <laughs> to to ask for that games fund to be reinstated to cater for all sorts, all the whole market. Because a lot of studios or one or two people studios won't hit that five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars spend, so they won't be able to access the rebate. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's really important that they can get funding to I don't know build a prototype or expand their idea or whatever it is to bring a product out. And I think um, you'll also find like states like Victoria, they they f- they still do funding to that nature and it's really important and it complements the bigger tax offsets as well. So, you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff in production right now that's come about through some of those funding levers. Yeah, and um, and definitely, yeah, that uh, Games as a Service getting um, added, what was that, uh, last month? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. getting expanded to that. So um, th- th- what it sort of shows they were listening, which mm. is good. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what does Games as a Service, does that cover like, um, oh, I mean, obviously like the Games as a Service category. Um, does it cover like, a, I guess, like uh, serious games, kind of like those educational work? Like, Haven't seen the finer detail yet. Mm. I don't know if all serious games will um, qualify or not. It will depend. Um and look, a lot of them are made, you know, they're made, I guess, for different purposes as well. So that this is all the detail that we're waiting on seeing, yeah, I guess. Sure. So see who it's going to work for. So a lot of a lot of developers have used serious games as a way to keep their doors open. So they've done games for clients, mm-hmm. <laughs> wanting something in that space. So they do that as kind of a project, but they also work on their own IP or an entertainment property at the same time. So those sorts of serious games and applied games have worked really well for a lot of our industry now. And they've been really important. Again, some really big, big success stories have come out of those as well. Mm. And um, something that uh, uh, Phil from um, Mighty Kingdom um, touched on a couple of years ago, uh, at his uh, GCAP talk was sure. with um, the idea of these companies moving over, these larger companies um, that, you know, how awesome that is. But it's also, it will be a bit of a duty on those Australian ones like Mighty Kingdom to uh, ensure that Australian IP is still getting created in that. Absolutely, yeah. that That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, we've got... And we've done some work this year, with, or last year, I should say, with Austrade and that. Um, Australia, Australia has a long history of making really cool and really interesting games, mm-hmm. and that that we need to retain that, and we need to retain that identity. It's super important. Yes, it's really great that you get to work on the big global properties, but how do we, how do we? Um, you know, keep pumping out like, I mean, we spoke about unpacking before, Untitled Goose Game or, or Crossy Road or whatever it might be, you know, those, those sorts of important, Florence, you know, all those types of games as mm. well. Um, moving out that, that you know, we, we do retain um, and, and we do f- allow an environment that, that encourages those new IPs and sometimes that is what comes through the government grants as opposed to the tax offsets because it just allows, you know, those those original thinkers to, to get their product up and running. So, Yeah, it's a very interesting point. Um, it's definitely, and, yeah, it's something um, we I mean, we spoke about with Phil was about um, just the Australian culture, the the way of thinking, the um, – uh, I can't think of the word. It's not indifference, but for lack of a better word, the indifference that comes with the, the um, 
what's that word you know where you can just kind of like talk to your boss like they're your friend the um oh yeah 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 but it's yeah and they've just got easy access i know what you mean yeah, yeah they've got that direct yeah connection yeah it's like everything's off nothing's off limits in that, in that sense of in yeah. the form of creativity you know yeah and again I'm, I'm, i keep going back to the actors you look at some of the those um, winners, even the finalists this year mm. were extraordinary. Like, you know, the Artfulest Gabe yeah. and Webb. Mm, that's and, an amazing game. You know, they are all really cool, different games. Mm. You know what I mean? That, mm. you know, we don't want that to stop. Yeah. That's really important that those sorts of products continue being made here. It's like Hollow yeah. Knight. Hollow Knight's another huge one from, Hollow Knight, from Adelaide. Exactly. Yeah. Huge, yeah. yeah. Um, the Battlestar Galactica, but the Black Eyed Games over in WA, yeah. um, that's been huge. Some of the products they've worked on. You know, Game Off with Oregon Trail yeah, did really, really well this recently, year as yeah. well. So, yeah, it's... Um, it, it is, yeah. It's, look, it's exciting times for the industry. It's a great time to be entering the industry or working in the space. Personally, we have not seen the sort of level of growth. Like, you know, we put out a, a survey um, a couple of months ago and the number one concern was, was staff, attracting staff. Mm. Mm. And that was something that we looked so, at in, our, in our, one of our other podcasts as well was that some of that statistics that is always put out as well. Um and even around the diversity and how that's increased as well um, yes. in the workforce. That was a fantastic statistic to see. And look, and that is thanks to, you know, it, it, uh, there's there's more awareness in our industry, but, you know, studios like Mighty Kingdom, because we were just talking about them, have some really great hiring practices. Yeah. You know, your leagues of geeks and all that, you know, your, your sledgehammers and all that, mm. they're, they're actively um, trying to improve their workforce mm. and we are starting to see that come through um i think the challenge for the industry you know we've got to keep up that pipeline work yeah for yeah sure. and just attracting them when they're young <laughs> yeah exactly and and making it a, a viable future which is something that this um that's right yeah it has to be sustainable yeah that's right and and just give um give them opportunities because you know what and look we know this has happened and we've been told multiple times when the global financial crisis happened most australians moved overseas for work they had no mm. option so there's that many australians overseas and they are starting to come back but they need something to come back to mm. yeah yeah you know, or, or they need they need the right environment to start their own studios. So uh, it'll be good to have a lot of them back in the coming couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I've def- and I've heard even um, in the neighbouring industry, in the film industry, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I heard it officially or unofficially or, or what the deal was, but like some big studios looking at, well, I don't know if they're looking or if they have started moving into places like Sydney and Melbourne, that was for a reason because of, I think, the pandemic. It just seemed more viable to start working in Australia, but there's definitely been eyes, it sounds like, across Australia. Yeah, yeah and I think what the film industry learned through COVID is, yeah, so, so you know, yes, Australia is a great place to make movies and we've got a really talented workforce, but they're using a lot of game development tools, right? Yeah. So they're using Unreal and and um, Unity and, you know, it's, it's game technology that's driving a lot of film production as well. So, you know, what we're really looking forward to seeing more of is that is that crossover of skills. So, you know, you might start in game development but you might end up in architecture or, or, or the other way around, you know what I mean? You might you might be in fintech and yeah. find yourself in, in, in banking. You know, I did some interviews recently with some of the team at Wargaming and their background is fascinating. Yeah. None of them went into their engineering degrees thinking they were going to make games or work on servers, but now they are. Yeah, Cause, we because you can. The skills are similar. We previously had uh, Ashley. She's not. I don't think she's there anymore. Oh, Ash Van Wingard. Ash Van Wingard. And I think Ash came from a was it a I think a bank. I think it yeah, was a bank. Yeah. A bank in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just crazy to see that that crossover into games, and that's just really good good signs of a you know of a growing and healthy um, ecosystem. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's it really is exciting. I tell you what, if I was that way inclined, um, or my kids were, I'd say go and do engineering. Yeah, uni. <laughs> 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 that's not. We can't get enough of them. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Or art, three D art. <laughs> so, um, with the you mentioned before the um the actors and the 
the yep. companies that the company the teams that are you know winning those awards. That's um that's an idea uh, initiative, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It was, was yeah. So sorry, go on. Oh, sorry. I was we merged with the G- Game Developers Association uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, um, we run the run GCAT and we run the Actors now. So yeah, we've run the Actors the last couple of years, and um, it, it's so cool to get to see what's coming through and what's coming out um, every year. And it's it's so different as well. The the products are so different. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, and it's definitely um, like you know, Costa and I went to the one held in Adelaide, hosted by um, Unwind and uh, a yes. few other things, and it's become like you know, I've only been in the industry like four or five years, so not sure what was mm-hmm. before, but you know, it's becoming these like little events across Australia. Like mm-hmm. it's becoming its own cultural thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and look, I think there's potential to do more. So, like, in an ideal world when we can all get together, it would be run, you know, we'd have an event in Melbourne as as part of the Melbourne International Games Week and, and to wrap up GCAP. So we'd have a physical event and, look, that is going to happen at some point. But, you know, it's really important that we stream it as well yeah. so that the states can get together. I think I think last year in 2020, you, Adelaide, yeah, the Adelaide crew were the only Adelaide and Tassie had some yeah. some watch parties because you're yeah. allowed to get together. The rest of us weren't allowed to leave our houses. Yeah, but, um, it, it was awesome to see, and that happened again this year. So it was so much fun, and like you know, because as you said, it might happen again this year. Just encourage everyone to just do it. Just oh yeah, absolutely. If you can, yeah. if you can, it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll get to have a a real event too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's my dream. It's my dream for 2022. Some physical events, please. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. But, I mean, so if with IGEA running, you know, uh, you got this, you got the arcade in, in Melbourne. Yes, in Melbourne, yeah. Um, the Agda's GCAP, like, do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no, we absolutely do. We've got, we've got a, um, like I said, it used to be Ron. Ron was by himself for about 18 months and then, then I came along and um, and then we've got policy people in and um, and then we hired Jens who, mm. who I guess, you know, his job was to start, you know, working with developers and seeing what their needs were. And then we got Kerry and Sav um, through the GDAA merger. So they run the arcade and, and they work on GCAP as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, and we've just actually got someone else as well because for that very reason, it's it's pretty busy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we love it. We're lucky. We're lucky. Yeah. Um. Yeah, well... Uh, thanks so much, Raylene, for coming on and, and, you know, telling us what's going on. And, you know, something we always like to end out all the episodes with is, you know, um, what what you've learned in the industry. What, what's your one thing you'd like to pass on to um, listeners, um, developers starting out, someone who's working in that toy company right now looking to transition <laughs> into games, whatever it is. Like, what do you, what do you see as your one your one advice to leave us with? Um, oh, look, embrace it. I, I did. I came to games not being a gamer, or um, but I've loved it because of all the change and, and of all the people. Um, it's, for me, it's been a really rewarding career. I've worked with a lot of really great people. I've seen a lot of great things. I've been able to see the world. Um and now I guess it, it's our chance to give back a little bit, I think, which I, I've really, I'm really enjoying doing as well and, and working with all the people in the industry because, it, it, you know, it's just super interesting. So um, it's it's a great career. Tell your mum and dad it's, <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Don't listen to what they say. Um, yeah, and, and I guess too, yeah, for me and, and I think, probably I guess I can speak for a lot of the IG team it's what you make it as well yeah you know that we, we've all gone for certain things or or aimed for certain things and um luckily we've had the support to to deliver it and look it's only getting more interesting as our survey said it's growing it's, it's more diverse people working in the space that's a good thing right and I think generally speaking the industry is pretty aware they're pretty aware of important global issues they're pretty aware of each other so that's also a good thing yeah 
when we have uh, yourself and Ron and Jens guiding us, you know, only good things can happen from that. It's you guys oh, are perfect. Look, we're, we're, uh, that's very nice of you, but we're you know we're guided by what what industry want and need as well, and we're really lucky to work with such a great vocal generous group of people um, that are very clear on what they need so it kind of makes our job easier and they're just pleasant mm. and we can't look I can't wait to come to Adelaide we keep threatening to come to you <laughs> to your developer meetups and then I log on to book a flight and, and we get locked out but it, I'm not sure we're going to have too many more lockouts so hopefully we'll get down there yeah. the first half of 2022 so yeah def- that's the plan the unwinds have yeah, been going great and yes they're doing a great right job here. all the yeah the turnouts are getting stronger and yeah, it's just and that's what we love to see. That's what provides the direction, you know, seeing the games being built and the people that are working on them. And yeah, that's that's the best part of the job, right? Mm. Yeah. So how what's the best way for people to get in contact with um IGEA and follow you guys? Yeah, sure. So our website, www.igea.net. Um Twitter is at IGEA. Um, and then you can just, just go on the about and it's got all our staff. You'll see all of our, our Twitters and all the rest of it. But um, please reach out with any comments, queries, questions. Always happy to help. That's perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much, Raylene. Thanks so much, Raylene.